morning church happy memorial day weekend some of you are traveling some of you are getting together with family it's obviously a a, a day coming up that we remember we reflect somber hopeful um all really about the history for us and this country some of it good some of it not but we are grateful to be um, where we live and the freedoms we have but this morning, I want to give you um, kind of a little bit of an update. Two weeks from today, we will be actually on this property, Fellowship Covenant Church, outside at their picnic shelter. Um, they are so gracious to allow us to do that here at this church. And um, there's just a lot of things happening behind the scenes right now um, in the life of our church. And so I want you to continue to pray for us, pray for this community, um, just some hiccups with the Arvada Center, um, hopefully just maybe short term, who knows, maybe long term. We are in the process of figuring out just kind of the rhythm uh, for us long term going forward. But for the summer, we are in house churches and you are hopefully in a family room or in a backyard right now with others. Um, if you're not, we would love to invite you to one. Um, we would love to have you a part of these clusters happening. A new house church started last week. We're open to start one or two more in the coming weeks. So if you're interested in being a part of a house church, um, go to our website. On the front page of it, you can either hit the connect form, join a house church, uh, let us know that you uh, want to be involved and we want to connect you up with that. So we are in uh, a series in the book of Mark. And this is the account of Mark, who gets a lot of his account from Peter, actually. And we are um, just going chunk by chunk through the book of Mark. We're trying to figure out and learn who this Jesus is and ultimately then who God is. And how we relate to God, how God relates to us. And this is the perfect passage today to talk about that. Because in it, we find a couple of things. One, how we approach God. And two, how God approaches us. How God uh, relates to us. And what's interesting is in chapter 7, it starts off, last week it started off with a conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees, with the religious elite. And the conversation was about who's in and who's out. And in chapter 7, it begins with this conversation. And Jesus is calling everybody who's thought they were in, he's calling them out. And what happens is, is the response to that conversation is Jesus showing by his life the people who are out are actually in. And so take a look at this. First, how we approach God. This is the first story of the two that you potentially read in house church. Verse 24, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now, what's really important about this is you need to understand is Jesus is leaving something called the gospel triangle. It's a little place um, Capernaum, Bethsaida. There's, there's a triangle of cities of little villages that is called the Gospel Triangle because it is like the epicenter of what it means to be a faithful Jewish adherent to Torah in the midst of Roman occupation. 
So this is a place where people are very serious, not only about following Torah, but they're very serious about the Jewish state, the, the kind of the nationalistic fervor of, of being Jewish. And this is a place where to follow Torah meant that you are serious about the Jewish state being freed one day and being brought back into what God had created it to be. And so Jesus leaves Galilee and he goes to this place called Tyre, the vicinity of Tyre, meaning probably the suburbs, the outskirts of, of a town that is to the northwest of Galilee on the map. We'll show the map right now. And it's basically modern day Lebanon and it was a Gentile region for a long time. Un and this was a group of people, this was a region of people that were very unhappy with Israel. And interestingly enough, there's still a lot of unhappiness. <laughs> it was the home of Jezebel in 1 Kings. And Tyre, the actual city of Tyre, was for millennia actually an enemy of Israel. And so Josephus, in his writings, his historical writings about the Jewish uh, people, he wrote that this area was notori notoriously our most bitter enemies. And so Phoenicia, um, and, and, and we'll get into Phoenicia here in a second, because um, she is a Syro-Phoenician Syro woman. Phoenicia is, is kind of like this region of Israel's most bitter enemies in the past. And it was the location of paganism. Um, and, and what's interesting is Jesus leaves, in a sense, his home country, his people, his, his neck of the woods, to find rest. And he goes to a place notorious for being an enemy of Israel. It's, um, it's kind of insane. It's kind of crazy. It's like Mother Teresa needing a break from healing uh, and caring for lepers and taking a little jaunt to Vegas. It's just kind of strange to think about. And so it says, He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Well, interesting here for you and me is like, this sounds kind of creepy. Like Jesus just randomly, willy-nilly walks into someone's house. Um, houses back then are not like our American houses, where we are separated and we have locks and doors and all that kind of stuff. Houses in this part of the world during this time were a courtyard collection of homes that had uh, walkways through to the market, and, and there was just, there was no real boundaries. And so um, to escape the public square, to escape the street, you know, the main street thoroughfare, you could walk through, in a sense, courtyard places that were not yours, uh, really not anybody's, but it was considered someone's home. And so Jesus does this. He tries to duck out of public view and to kind of, in a sense, sneak through. And he wasn't successful because someone saw him and the news began to travel really quickly in this little village outside of Tyre. And it says, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, 
born in Syrian Phoenicia, she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So this woman has a little daughter. And think about this. Jesus has just been talking to religious leaders about religious ceremonies that were designed to keep someone religiously pure. And he pushed back on them. And, and you can check out last week's teaching for that. And many of those ceremonies were designed to keep people like this woman in mind. These ceremonies were designed to keep people like this from being accidentally contacted with. Like you were to, you were to keep yourself away from people like this if you were a good Jewish person, let alone a Jewish rabbi. And this woman's daughter had an unclean spirit. And so in, in the clean and unclean conversation from last week, this would, be, this would be example A, number one, of somebody who is unclean, that the Pharisees would have avoided, that the Pharisees created rules and boundaries to keep themselves insulated from somebody like this, because she is, number one, a woman. Number two, she is, um, she's got a daughter with an unclean spirit. She is a Gentile. She's not just any Gentile. She's from Phoenicia. She's from Tyre, which is like the most enemy, uh, the, the, the longest standing enemy of the people of God throughout the millennia. She has no standing morally or spiritually in the eyes of Torah. And the point is clear. She's not a Jew. Um, and since she's not a Jew, she's more than just not a Jew. She can be counted on as an enemy of Israel. Um, but she's familiar with Jewish custom, which is interesting. We'll get into that here in a second. But both Matthew and Mark's gospel, those accounts, talk about this moment. And what's interesting is both of these accounts talk, they give a perception of Jesus as being kind of um, ignoring her or kind of aloof from her. Um, that he's silent or he's um, trying to avoid her in some way or another, which is interesting because in Matthew's account, the disciples are with Jesus. In Mark's account, it's just Jesus. But in Matthew's account, the disciples are with him. And in, in that account, it actually shows that the disciples were frustrated. They wanted this woman to go away. That I guess in, in Matthew's account, it's a little bit more vivid, but she is She's really pitching a fit. Like she is, she is yelling. She's loud. She is desperate. She is begging Jesus. She finds out who Jesus is. She's begging Jesus to heal her daughter. And the disciples want her to leave. They are uncomfortable with this woman. They are uncomfortable with her proximity. They're uncomfortable with her life. They're uncomfortable with her issue, with her daughter, all of it. And they want her to go away. And, and they are encouraging Jesus to get rid of her. And um, maybe this Gentile woman was an embarrassment to them. And what's interesting is, I, if I'm honest, I see a lot of them in me. Like, I avoid uncomfortable people. I avoid people who look like they've got... Um, a, a lot of life going on. I mean, I just be honest with you. Um, I, I, this is something I'm working on in my own life. Like I can see the disciples, like that looks like an issue. I don't want to deal with it. 
Somebody will, hopefully. <laughs> but this woman was intense. She found out Jesus was here. And she is... She knows Jewish custom. She knows where she stands. And she doesn't care. Because she's a mom. And she's a mom who loves her little daughter. And nothing will stop her. Nothing. And she approaches Jesus. And she, she knows she should not approach Jesus. But she's approaching Jesus. And for many reasons she knows this. She will do whatever it takes. She won't take no for an answer. And she's breaking every rule religiously, societally. Um, and she says, please heal my daughter. Please heal my daughter. Now brace yourself. Jesus' response is actually pretty shocking. Verse 27. First, let the, little, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What's going on here? Well, basically, he's telling this woman, wait your turn. Family first. What he's saying is, basically, it's been the plan all along that the good news of the Messiah was to come to the Jewish people, the people of Israel, first, then to the rest of the world. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. This is a, Paul reinstates, talks about this in Romans 1.16. That's the plan all along. That Jesus is the fulfillment of all of Israel's, uh, the prophecies of Israel being uh, the Messiah, being the Savior. And he's telling this woman basically, hey, wait your turn. It's not time for you yet. And some, some of us get really hung up on her. Him. It sounds like he's calling her a dog. It sounds like he's calling her um, less important. And we have to wrestle with that. I mean, this is cultural, right? This is just woven into the fabric of everything they understand and know. And Jesus is coming through that cultural lens. Basically saying, why would I help you yet? Why would I help you yet? And, and the reality is, I can't remove the sting of this conversation from you. I, this, is, this, this is a conversation, this is a very uncomfortable passage of Jesus. Jesus heals people, he feeds people, he confronts those mean, nasty religious people, and yet right here he seems kind of nasty. And I'm going to let you and I wrestle with that. Okay? We cannot strip Jesus of his Jewishness. And that there was a plan here. There was a plan set in motion from, you can look at all the prophets um, of, about the Messiah, who the Messiah would be, who, who this Jesus would be. And it was first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. But listen to her response. Because this response is beautiful. And this is how we approach God. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Even the dogs under the table, they still get little bits after the children have gotten theirs. 
And then he told her, look at this, verse 29, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child uh, lying on the bed and the demon gone. So this woman who has no business approaching Jesus just does it anyway. She's a mom. She loves her child. She knows Jesus can do the, the work. Jesus says, it's not time for you yet. She says, I'll take whatever you can give me. She, she recognizes, in a sense, her place in the societal structure, but she just says, I'll take whatever. And you know what she calls him? She calls him Lord. Do you know that she's the only person in the Gospel of Mark that calls Jesus Lord? She's kind of like the heroine of the story. What's interesting is that she accepts Jesus' premise and, and she understands the parable. Jesus is, in a sense, telling a mini parable here. He's talking about children and dogs. And, and remember, the disciples have not understood one parable up to this point. Uh, they, 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 they're clueless. He's always having to explain. He's like, don't you get it? Seed, come on, don't you get it? She gets it. She understands it. She's not offended or put off her. She's not like, who are you calling a dog? She's just like, she gets it. She says, I get it. I'm not Jewish. But how about a crumb? She had no right to the claim. She's just hoping for the leftovers. What's interesting is because in the language of the kingdom of God, and this is where Jesus is flipping everything, the insiders, the outsiders, he's flipping it all. In the language of, of the kingdom of God, dogs become children. Now, I know that's hard to understand here in Denver because dogs are so important to us and we have to bring them everywhere we go because they, they just can't stand a minute by themselves in their own backyard. Okay, I'm ranting. But in that culture, dogs were low-level. For Jews, dogs were unclean. In the language of the kingdom of God, dogs become kids, outsiders become insiders. And the humble are in and the proud are out. And so the question I have for us after this first little account is who might you imagine is far from the kingdom? I mean, there's probably people in your life that, to be honest with you, maybe you haven't vocally said this, but you've written them off. They're like, oh, that's, they're never, they're a lost cause. They're never. And maybe it's the person that um, is walking in confusion in regards to their sexuality. They're really struggling through that. Um, their identity and their personhood. And they think it's connected to their attraction. And you, you just, you don't know um, how to help them. And that's ultimately just being in their life and loving them and caring for them is all you can do. Maybe it's for some of you, it's that person that, that thinks so differently than you politically. And every time you're with them, they rant about something, whether it's a left thing or a right thing. And you just, you're frustrated. Maybe it's a person who's unlike you. Maybe it's a person who lives across the world or a different language and, and you're just not comfortable. 
Who are the people in your life that make you uncomfortable? Please don't equate those people with being far from the kingdom. In fact, we have to, the pandemic has so isolated many of us, um, and you're just getting back out, you're just getting to connect with people, you, you're just feeling comfortable. Might I ask you to push even further in that? Create some uncomfortability in your life with people. Because this woman, what does she want? She wants grace. She wants a favor from Christ that she cannot and does not deserve. She wants unmerited favor. Just a crown. Second story. The next, account, the next account is just as shocking. Let's jump into it. This is kind of a little bit more about how God approaches us, how Jesus approaches us. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and he went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. So this is actually a big trip. I'm going to show you on the map. Tyre is up to the top left-hand side, northwest of Galilee. Jesus comes around, maybe through Galilee, uh, through the Sea of Galilee, and then he lands um, on the shores of the Decapolis. We don't know if he, he took it by boat or he went around, um, but the Decapolis, remember, the Decapolis in this time was called the Land of the Ten, Deca, uh, Decapolis. Um, and, and so the land of the 10, this land, this chunk of this region was actually in the old Testament called the land of the seven and in the land of the seven were the seven nations that rebelled, that actually, um, tricked and, and, and hurt the nation of Israel. And so this is also another outside, um, of Israel group of people and, this is back where the disciples and Jesus landed after the storm. When Jesus calmed the storm, they land and they account a demon-possessed guy. And this guy was so crazy and Jesus heals him. He, he, um, he, he sends the demon out of him into a group of pigs. That whole story, Mark chapter 5. And, and what we read here is a lot of people show up. Like Jesus shows up in the Decapolis and it's almost like he's recognized. Like people are, are like, oh, that guy's here again. That guy's back. Tons of people, huge crowds. And, and the reason, the question is, why are all the huge crowds? Well, in Mark chapter five, the end of that story with the demon possessed dude, check this out. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who Jesus had um, uh, had healed, uh, who had been demon-possessed, begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away, began to tell, it, uh, tell in the Decapolis, okay, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. So there's no doubt that when Jesus shows back up in the Decapolis, people are going to be ready. People are going to be waiting. Why? Because that guy told his story. Verse 32, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. So these guys, they bring a guy who can't talk or hear, and which is really cool. He's People in this guy's life, it's kind of like that story of the people who cut a hole in the roof and lower the guy to Jesus. Same kind of group of people here. These people care about this guy who can't hear and can't talk. 
and they bring him to Jesus. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Okay? So what I want to do is I want you to pause the video and practice. Just kidding. Um, and so then he spit and touched the man's tongue. This gets gross. This is, this is like a bad youth group game, okay? This is, this is like wet willies and weird. This is weird stuff. What is happening? He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ipapath. Ipath. I don't know. He says that, which means be opened. Okay. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. What's interesting here is that deep sigh that Jesus gave out. It's the same thing that we read in Romans chapter 8. That's the groaning of the Spirit. And it's almost like there's this. In, the, in chapter 8 of Romans, it talks about the, the, the Spirit groans. Okay. Um, just at the aches of creation and how things are not how they're supposed to be. And it's almost like that's the same, that's the same word here that Jesus is like groaning, like this isn't how it's supposed to be. This isn't how um, the creation was supposed to be. This isn't how humanity was supposed to be. And he groans and, and he, he opens this guy's ears and he, and he, and he loosens his tongue. The, the word loosen there is to set free. It's almost like his, his tongue was, was under the grip, the brokenness of sin and how this world's not operating. Old creation, right? Jesus liberated the man from his speech impediment and he was able to hear. And what's interesting here is, as is, is we're wrapping this up, is that Jesus enters this guy's world, like physically enters this guy's world, touches his brokenness. This is how Jesus enters our world. Guys, remember, God is not a God. This is, this is God here. This is Jesus. We're, we're getting a glimpse of who God is in Jesus. God is not a God that is unwilling to enter our brokenness and our pain, that God actually wants to be with us, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. If the only religious schema in the history of, of humanity that has a God coming to be with us, entering our world, entering our, our pain, pulling us aside, touching the broken places in our lives. He focuses on this man. This poor man had been cut off, had probably been ostracized, it, it pushed out to the margins. Jesus enters his world. And that is the direction that Jesus comes for you and I. And then it, 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 later it says this, that Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. Uh, but the more he did so, the more he said, don't tell anybody, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. That part, not to tell anyone, uh, tell anybody, is is called the messianic secret. We're going to get into that here in the next couple weeks. Church, as we wrap this up, I want to say a couple things. Too often, many of you think that I'm like an expert on the Bible, 
um, some of you have, don't think I know anything, but so, <laughs> the, the, the trick here is just because I'm talking in front of camera by myself to you and it's on YouTube, doesn't mean I'm an expert. Like I don't know all the intricacies of all of this. Sometimes I get things right, sometimes I don't. Um, just, and you give me, I just, it's a reminder to you, like maybe 80% of the things I say are right. I don't know. Reminder to you, I'm not perfect, okay? I'm learning new things every single time I open up the scriptures. But scripture is meant to be wrestled with together, okay? It's meant to be wrestled with together. Here's all I know. Here's all I know from the scripture today. One, I know that in Jesus, God is showing the world what he's like. Okay, I know that. I trust that. That is opening up meaning after meaning for me. But here's, here's what I know. I know that in Jesus, God is showing the world what he's like. I also know that I do not approach Jesus like the woman in Tyre does. <laughs> I don't approach Jesus with that kind of desperation. And I'm reflecting on that. Third thing is I, I, I know that there are people that make me uncomfortable and that I just want to keep them at a distance. And I need to repent of that and I need to confess that. And I need people in my life that are continuing to push me towards a different way of, of, of seeing people. And here's the last thing. I know that over the last few chapters, the disciples have been seeing Jesus do a lot of things, but not perceiving and understanding. They have literally watched Jesus do all these things, and they still don't get it. And that's me too. And so what I want to do in the next bit is turn this off, pray for you, turn this off, and have you talk about these, these two accounts in your house church and wrestle this out together. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for gathering us. Thank you for um, the opportunity to be close together, to be in community together, to wrestle out not only our lives, but what scripture is calling us to do, calling us to uh, orient our lives towards people who are far from the kingdom. And God, that we would be people who love that, God, you approach us, you enter our pain, you enter our brokenness, you want us to approach you, and you want us to actually live as ambassadors, as agents of the kingdom, to not just hole up in comfortable, uh, our comfortable little worlds, but to be in people's lives that make us uncomfortable. So God, help us wrestle out the scripture together. We pray these things in your name. Amen.